So take out your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 17 through chapter 10, verse 20. I get to have a full chapter in a little bit more, so... The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature tell the matter. So why do we get a list of Proverbs so near the end of this sermon called Ecclesiastes? If you'll remember, we've been saying that this is, we're reading this book of Ecclesiastes as a sermon. The preacher, a preacher, he writes a sermon. So why at the end do we get a bunch of just Proverbs that seem kind of randomly, maybe interconnected? Well, because even though the poor wise man is forgotten, and even though the wise and the foolish both perish together, wisdom is still better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So the preacher is commending wisdom to us. But how is he doing that? Well, as we've said, this is Solomon, who it's recorded in 1 Kings 4, 32, He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and most of the book of Proverbs is attributed to him. So he's giving us a list of wise Proverbs so that we can do two things with them. But first I want to clarify what a proverb actually is. 
It's a principle of wisdom, not a promise with a reward. It's a short saying that is broad enough to be applied in many situations, but it cannot be flatly applied to anything. It takes wisdom to apply a proverb. So the two purposes of this list of proverbs. First, these show us the value of wisdom. If you look at the list as a whole, you can see that there is a wise way and a foolish way to live. And you can see the outcome of wisdom is good, but the outcome of folly is bad. So you look at the outcomes and say, okay, it's better to be wise, but how do I become wise? And that's the second use of this list. It shows us the way of wisdom. Not only do we see that wisdom leads to good and that folly leads to bad, we see how wisdom leads to good and how folly leads to bad. So we can look at our own steps and ask ourselves if our lives look more like wisdom or folly. But here's the big thing. If you're walking in folly and you know it, you need to actively choose wisdom. You can't just agree that wisdom is better than folly. You need to do it. You need to be wise and act wisely. Just like you can't just agree that stopping when the light is red is wiser than plowing through it. You need to actually stop. It's not a small difference either. It's the difference between a really boring drive where you have to stop at every stoplight on the road, the 17 of them between here and Walmart, and being creamed by an 18-wheeler. It matters. Wisdom doesn't just think, it follows through. So we'll look initially at wisdom and then at folly, as both are described in this section. The first thing we see, wisdom is objectively good regardless of the effect. Verses 17 and 18 in chapter 9, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This repeats a point from last week. A poor wise man, by wisdom, delivered his city from the great king's weapons of war. And even though he was not remembered, no one knows his name, the wisdom is still objectively better. Wisdom gives strength and skill. Verse 2, chapter 10, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now this has nothing to do with the political spectrum. Not left and right, any of that. It has to do with how the right side is associated with strength and the left side is associated with weakness. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But the question is why? I mean, why? We kind of know this, but why is right associated with strength and left with weakness? Well, I apologize to the 10 to 15% of you that statistically are left-handers, but this is a right-handed metaphor. Uh, so if instead of left and right, you think of your dominant hand and your non-dominant hand, it'll make a little more sense to you. So your dominant hand, which for me is my right hand, can do a lot of really great things. You can write, you can sign your name, you can use silverware, you can use tools, all kinds of things, fine motor skills. But the non-dominant hand, which is my left hand, is pretty useless comparatively. I mean, if you don't think so, just use your non-dominant hand and try and sign your name or... Something like that. If I were to take a, sp a soup spoon and try and eat soup and wasn't actually paying attention, I think I'd be wearing most of the soup. 
So wisdom inclines us to skill, to using the proper tools with strength. Wisdom withstands anger calmly until it can amend the offense. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Proverbs 15.1, we see a soft answer turns away wrath. So say your boss is mad at you, and you either rightly or wrongly are getting the brunt of a lecture that really is just a verbal attack. Well, Solomon is wisely telling us to stay calm and wait out the anger. It does not mean that we ignore the people that are mad at us, but it's a recognition that when somebody is mad, they don't want a solution, they want to be mad. So, wait for the anger to subside, and then you will be heard. Wisdom understands and accepts that life under the sun is risky business. Verses 8 and 9, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. The preacher is not making a moral judgment about each of these tasks. He's not saying this is good or bad. Sometimes you have to dig a hole. Sometimes you have to tear down a wall. There's nothing wrong with quarrying stones. There's nothing wrong with chopping wood. But we need to recognize that life under the sun is dangerous. Wisdom recognizes that we can't control everything, but we still need to live our lives. We can't sit down and sit inside somewhere and think, well, as long as I don't go do this, I'll be safe. And we could add to this list. The person who drives a car could get into a wreck or have a flat tire or who knows. The person who eats food at the fair will have an upset stomach. We can't avoid harm under the sun, so wisdom accepts the fact that bad things will happen, and you can't predict or prevent every one of them. Wisdom takes the long view and does the things the right way rather than the quick way. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Many of the Bible's images come straight out of a rural setting, I remember in college in the Twin Cities, uh, spent probably 15 minutes, the professor explaining what wheat and chaff was, and it was very strange to me that it took 15 minutes to explain what wheat and chaff was. Um, so these, these metaphors from the Bible make a lot of sense to us in our rural setting. We, we, we know what harvest is like. We know what these things are. Um, a dull knife is harder to use, and it's more dangerous than a sharp one, Right? So be wise, take the long view, spend some time to sharpen your tools or clean them up or put them away or whatever else you need to do. Eat, you know, Solomon has also said, eat your food. Make sure you take care of the things that need to be taken care of. Don't be so focused on one huge goal that you ignore all the steps it takes to get there. Wisdom follows through to the end. Verse 11, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Well, charming a snake is a long, intricate process. Don't worry, I don't have firsthand experience. I won't touch him with a 10-foot pole, but you know, it's a long, intricate process. 
But what good is it to follow all the steps just to be bitten in the end? If you work hard to follow all the right steps except for the last one, all your work is wasted. Imagine you get straight A's all throughout your schooling, but you blow off your final assessment. Or imagine you followed a recipe exactly to the letter, and the dish is perfect, and you put it in your oven, which is preheated to the exact right temperature, and an hour later you hear a beeping. And it's the smoke alarm, because you forgot to set a timer. You know the statement, a half-truth is a whole lie? Well, half-finished is unfinished. Wisdom knows that if you don't plan on finishing well, don't start. Wisdom speaks well and is blessed for it. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. And you ask how? Well, in the ESV there's a footnote. It gives another way of translating that last word there, win him favor. It says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. The wisdom knows that gracious words win favor, you know, just as a soft answer turns away wrath. Wisdom uses the things God has given for their proper end. Verse 17, Happy are you, O land, when your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. And verse 19, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Food and drink are good things, but we can make too much of them. Money can be used well, or it can be an idol. But wisdom sees them as gifts from God. And because they are gifts, we can't live like we're entitled to them, and we can't live like we worship them. They're gifts. Wisdom goes deeper than actions. It affects how we think. Verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, I don't think Solomon was so prophetic as to foresee Twitter, but that's pretty much what goes on there. Wisdom recognizes that you are who you are in public, maybe just a mask, but who you are in secret is who you are. And it's also a good idea to remember that the walls have ears, and the Alexas have ears, and the Googles have ears, and whatever else has ears nowadays. And especially the toddlers, right? Everybody who's had kids. I could say something, but my parents are here, so I won't. <laughs> Wisdom never says anything in private that it would be ashamed to admit to saying in public. But what does folly do? Folly does not hear authority. The second half of chapter 9, verse 17, the shouting of a ruler among fools. The ruler here could be a governor or a supervisor or the king, but fools don't care. The ruler shouts and is not heard. Folly corrupts and destroys what was once good. Nineteen or nine eighteen, sorry. One sinner destroys much good. And ten one, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. One thing out of place can cause untold harm. 
One single hair is a really small thing. We don't even think in terms of a single hair. If you say you got your hair cut, you're talking about all your hair. One hair almost doesn't matter unless you find it in your omelet. You can live a life full of wisdom and honor for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, and one misstep, one act of folly can undo it all. Folly makes one weak. Again, 10-2, a fool's heart is inclined to the left. Think about using your weaker hand again. You know, really, sign your name, use a tool, anything that you're so used to with your right hand. It's just, it's just not trained, it's not prepared. Faldi broadcasts its own foolishness. 10.3, even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he is a fool. But of course it does. Of course folly broadcasts itself. You can't choose the path that ignores authority and prefers weakness without it being apparent. Folly causes powerful people to appoint and trust other fools. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now this is probably the hardest section of verses in this passage because it uses words that are so charged for us. But just as an aside, the word slave is different for us than it is for Solomon. Broadly speaking, for Solomon, what he was talking about is someone who either had sold themselves for a period of time in order to pay a debt, or was a criminal, probably a member of one of the other tribes that lived in Canaan before Israel came in. It's not wise to put somebody that can't manage their own money in charge of yours. It's not wise to put somebody that is against you, trying to destroy you, in charge of national security. That's what Solomon's talking about here. This is a case where everything is not in its proper place. Folly runs his mouth, and in fact, his mouth runs away with him. This is verses 12 through 15. The fool talks a big talk because he thinks he's smart enough to plan the future. He's a fast talker. He's got an answer for everything. His words outpace his mind. He's got big plans for himself, and he thinks he can read the future. But he can't even get through today's work. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. Folly seeks immediate gratification without caring about the consequences. The princes that feast in the morning in verse 16, if you get up and go immediately to a party with fat and rich food and the wine is flowing, you might enjoy your time, but you're not going to have a productive day afterward. Folly doesn't think about tomorrow or even this afternoon. Folly wants what it wants, when it wants, and it wants it now. Or verse 18, you see that the roof is leaking, but that's a problem for another day. The roof is sinking in. Well, it's still mostly there. That's what folly says. 
One theme of Ecclesiastes that Caleb has been telling us, and we've been going through, is everything in its proper place, and I alluded to that. But another theme, and it really comes into force as we get nearer the end of the book, is fear God and live well under the sun. And the second theme is what governs this section of Proverbs. But there's a really important understanding that I think we miss, especially in the do-it-yourself North Dakota culture. I can, you know, pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps sort of thing. Um, it's easy for us to hear this message about wisdom and this message about folly and say, well, here are the things that I should be doing and here are the things that I shouldn't be doing and that's all that's, that, that's all that this is. That's not what Solomon is talking about. That's not what wisdom is according to the Bible. Might be common sense. We're great lovers of common sense, but that's not wisdom. Wisdom and folly are not categories of intelligence. There are extremely intelligent fools. Stephen Hawking, one of the most intelligent minds of the last 50 years, was a fool. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. Wisdom and folly are moral categories. And what that means is the most basic difference between someone who is wise and someone who is a fool is the heart, not the head. Proverbs 1.7, which I'm sure many of you know by heart, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wise people, their beginning, their foundation, the thing that they build upon, how they choose to live their lives, is the fear of the Lord. Fools despise that. They hate it. Wisdom and instruction. A life that is founded upon God and obeying him disgusts them. So when Solomon uses the words wisdom and folly or wise and foolish or fool, don't translate it in your head and just hear him talking about intelligence. This isn't a list of 10 proven principles to a happy marriage or five steps you need to be financially independent. You can't simply take this list and think that you'll be able to solve all your problems if you just apply yourself to it. Because ultimately, our problems are not about intelligence or wise living. Ultimately, our problem is not foolish actions or foolish thoughts. It's a foolish heart that refuses to begin everything with the fear of the Lord. It's that same heart that was so primed to be tempted in the garden well, you don't really, did God really say that? You don't really need to, to listen exactly. You, you, you can figure it out on your own. It's the message of the devil. It's the message of the serpent in the garden. You will become like God. That's folly. Wisdom fears the Lord. Builds life upon that. The preacher recognizes that freedom from vanity under the sun requires freedom from sin and a return to the life of perfect obedience before the fall of Adam and Eve. 
But this wisdom, this recognition crushes us because we can't live up to it. We can't be so wise as to never sin. An amazing thing happened to me while I was preparing this sermon text. The Bible began to stand in judgment over me. I was not just preparing a lecture. I wasn't preparing the Bible. The Bible was preparing me. This is just the third sermon that I've gotten to preach, so I don't know what the standard is, but it was quite amazing to me. And I was convinced of the tangible ways that I have loved folly in my heart, especially that last one that I talked about, how I am prone to seek immediate gratification without caring about the consequences. And I looked at the list of what wisdom does, and I don't see my choices lining up with wisdom as much as I have fooled myself into thinking that I do. And Solomon, we know, if you know Solomon's life, you know that he, the wisest man under the sun, was still under the sun, still had all these problems, and was led astray from worshiping the true God. But there is someone who did follow wisdom in his life. Jesus did what was objectively good, regardless of the immediate effect. He had strength and skill from the wisdom of obeying the Lord. Jesus withstood anger calmly, standing before the judgment seat like a lamb brought to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearers is silent. Jesus understood and accepted that life under the sun is dangerous. There is harm. He came for the express purpose of suffering the vanity under the sun, just like us, and dying under the curse of our own folly. Jesus took the long view and did things the right way rather than the quick way. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was driven out into the wilderness and Satan tempted him. Satan tempted him with with a couple of things, but one of the things was the kingdoms of the earth. Satan, in effect, offered Jesus a way to avoid, make an end run around the suffering of the cross and still get the benefits of that glory. Jesus could be Lord of the world without the cross, but he would be Lord underneath the devil. Jesus did not choose the easy way. He chose the right way, and he followed through to the end. He set his face to Jerusalem and to the crucifixion, and no one could persuade him otherwise. Not even Peter, who spoke so rightly, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter said to him afterward, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't. Don't talk about this dying thing. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's that same temptation. Jesus spoke well and was blessed for it. He spoke the truth. And his people still rely upon his words thousands of years later. 
Jesus used the things God had given for their proper end. He was no gloomy ascetic, avoiding every joyful experience. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he rightly enjoyed the things God had given in a time when the height of religiosity was to be as stringent as one could be. But as he said, how can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them? When the time was joyous, no one was more joyful than he. When the time was tragic, Jesus wept. And of course, Jesus did not just act wise. He was wise down to his heart and soul because everything about him was directed first and only by the fear and love of God, his Father. And while we cannot live so wisely as to escape life under the sun, Christ lived in perfect wisdom because he suffered life under the sun and tasted death. He can offer freedom from vanity under the sun. This offer, just like the wisdom itself, is more than freedom in act or in thought. It is freedom that will begin to rebuild your life on the fear of the Lord. It is the freedom of a new heart. It is a freedom that is greater than the slavery to sin that we find ourselves in. Jesus stood up at the end of one of the feasts in Jerusalem and said, As the scriptures say, whoever comes to me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He also said, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Take my yoke upon thee, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Wisdom is a way of life. Wisdom is a path. Life in Christ does require us to live a certain way, but it's only constraining in the same way that the lines on the highway are constraining so that we don't crash into each other. It's only constraining in the same way that I am constrained that I can't just reach up and touch a power line because it's far enough up. It's constraining only in that it gives us life and it prevents us from choosing death. Yes, there is constraint, there is action, but it comes from a beating heart that lives because Christ has taken out that heart of stone. Christ has given you a new heart, and out of your heart flow the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit. So, Come to him, find rest for your soul. Don't harden your heart. Come to him and live in wisdom, in the fear of the Lord.